Well, good morning, Awakening Church. Can I hear a good morning? I got a few tech people saying good morning. Hey, we're glad that you're there in your living room. I'm glad you didn't go to the beach, you know, or maybe you're watching from the beach. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, we are rolling from one week to the next to the next. And we're now in the month of May with this shelter in place order and trying to figure things out. But I tell you what, we met to this week as staff uh, by Zoom call again. And we were talking about the chance when we get to reopen and all get back in the building and some of the precautions we're going to have to take and sort of walk things out, not knowing exactly what type of government orders are going to come down and how we can congregate together. But uh, as I shared with the staff this week, our goal is not to get a bunch of people back into this building. As the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, our goal is to see God glorified and especially see him glorified through changed lives. And so we're on it today. We're on the mission today for people to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission and I trust as you dial in to not me, but you dial into the Holy Spirit and you dial into God's word that we're going to look at today. You will allow him to be glorified in your life by seeing your heart and your life changed, your heart and your life changed. I am uh, uh, really been enjoying actually these few weeks since Easter when we focused on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and the I spy Jesus uh, sightings where Christ is really at work. And I'm sure that you've been able to find some of those places where you've spied Jesus working in your life. I know it's true in my life. I know it's true for us as a church. But we focused in these weeks on this whole understanding of life that is found in Christ. And um, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone, that means you, means the person seated next to you, the person that's not there you wish was there. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. It's a powerful truth of transformation that in Christ, in having a relationship with him, inviting him to live within you, and you being placed into all that he has done, you become a new creation. The old is gone, the new's come. Do you need anything old to be gone, disappeared from your life, maybe an identity of who you thought you were or think you are even right now? God can come and tra change and transform your life if you are in Christ. And Jesus is still alive today, active, working through his spirit to change people's lives and bring glory to himself. And that's what we're about. But this whole understanding of in Christ, as we've looked at it, we've looked at three, two things, satisfied in him a couple weeks ago. Last week, we looked at encouraged in him. And today, I would like us to focus on rest in him. Rest in him. The reason I landed on this subject today is because I think the natives are getting restless. Are you getting restless? Is it time to go, you say? Let's get back outside, whatever it may be. Let's get back to work. Let's get back to routines. Let's get back to my restaurant. For goodness sakes, kids, I probably, you are not saying get back to school kind of deal, right? But we are restless and I see it bubbling up in my conversations and some of our Zoom calls and interactions. It's like, I am just done with all this. 
Now, it's interesting as we sort of watch the news, and it's been deferred because uh, we're the United States of America, we're a republic of states, is that uh, each governor has been given the assignment or the permission, whatever it may be, uh, the uh, challenge to open their states as they feel led in a particular pathway, a phased plan. And different states are already starting to open. And so those of us that are in states that aren't open yet, we look and say, well, wow, they get to do that. And more social media is going to be popping up with things happening. I don't know how successful they were at closing down the beaches in Orange County this uh, particular weekend, but that was the order that came down. And uh, people are like, I'm just done with this. Let's get out. Let's not be cooped up. Let's get back to normal. Restlessness. Restlessness. Are you one of those natives that are restless? We're going to talk about rest today. Because rest is the opposite of restlessness. And we're going to go to a passage that uh, is a very dear passage. It's been sung through the ages and, and uh, uh, highlighted and, and placed on um, placards, and people have memorized the verse. In fact, uh, this weekend, uh, my wife found a new headboard on Craigslist or whatever, or I, I guess maybe Temecula Talk or something, and, and she got the headboard for the bedroom. And, and uh, I thought, you know, once we put it up, it's like, well, maybe we could put a sign over top of the bed that has this verse that we're going to look at. It's the same verse that was actually on the uh, flowers that we gifted to people around the valley over the last couple weeks. And the verse comes out of Matthew 11. It's a verse that speaks the words of Jesus to the people in such a a vital, life-giving way that indeed we are drawn to these words of Jesus over and over again throughout 2,000 years. And so whether you have it on a placard or a sign, or something, or you got it memorized in your heart, I want us to look deeply into this passage and allow it to speak fresh into the restlessness that's going on with each of us during this season. And so here's the verse, Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A familiar passage? Are you endeared to that passage? Maybe so. I trust that you'll be even more endeared to it and the truth that Jesus spoke when we're done here this morning. To understand this verse, though, you have to understand the context in which Jesus spoke these words. These words are just not a nice sentimental saying. Sentiments are nice, but they're not lasting, and they're not life-changing and transforming. Jesus did not come to say, okay, now everybody settle down. It's all going to be okay. You know, uh, I'm, I'm sort of going to be with you. This will pass. It wasn't that type of sentimentalness. Not nothing wrong with sentimentalness, but Jesus was exhorting the people he was standing for teaching. 
And what he had done prior to saying this passage and a couple verses we're going to read before it is that he had really laid out the people concerning their inability to accept and receive him for who he is. In fact, he went through and sort of laid out several of the cities that did not receive him. And so there's sort of this tension going on. It's like, whoa, whoa Jesus, what are you saying? That's, that's pretty tough. But he was bothered. He was deeply bothered. He came to his own, it says in John, and his own did not receive him. And that was evident around him all the time. It's still evident today. Hopefully it's not evident in your life. Jesus comes, he appears, he speaks. He's even speaking now through his spirit to you. And he's concerned. He's concerned if you've turned him off or if you turn away another direction or if you just become numb to him. And so he was speaking truth to the people that he was standing before. And he was bothered. He was bothered by the cities that were around him. And then all of a sudden, as he's, as he's speaking this, he pauses and he turns his head upward. He turns his head upward and we find these words before this passage that we're going to look at today. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and have revealed them to children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. I don't know about you, but sometimes... When I'm trying to encourage people, I'm even in a counseling kind of situation. I was uh, in one of those situations in a two-hour Zoom call this week, and, and, and I want to know how I can help somebody. But then I realize that I really have nothing to say to really help them. And so in the conversation, I still retain listening ears to what they're saying, but I begin to have uh, my eyes lift upward to the Father and pray internally, saying, Father, I thank you. I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth. Help me in this moment as I seek to know your wisdom to be able to impart to this situation that we're now counseling or discussing discussing uh, in this time together. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus had been preaching away. He called out uh, the people and the cities for not following him or receiving him. And then he just pauses, stands in front of them, and he talks to God. I don't know if that's true of your life, but it's actually a really, really good thing to do. Because in all of life, there are two dimensions going on. There's the vertical dimension and there's the horizontal dimension. And so we should pray without ceasing, Scripture teaches us. And what that has to do is is saying that as you're always communicating and dealing with life and ongoing, be in a spirit, in a state of communion and prayer. So here's just a classic example. Jesus teaching away not pontificating out of himself, but in touch with the Father. And turning to the Father, he's like, wow. You know, the elites, the, the uh, know-it-all religious people, the uh, people from my hometowns that know me, they've rejected me. They, they've turned from me. They, they, they've not received me. But Lord, Father, I am so grateful that though you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, You've revealed them to little children. And little children, it doesn't mean childishness. It means a childlike kind of spirit. And just as our children that are around us, whether they're own kids or uh, grandkids, nieces and nephews, 
There's something beautiful, isn't it, about a childlike spirit and wanting to learn, and a childlike spirit wanting to receive. And so I trust, as we look at the passage that's coming up that we've referenced in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, you'll be as a child, and you'll be able to receive. You may say, I got the passage down, I know it, it's good, it's, it's, it's memorized, and I say it every now and then and remind myself. I believe there's something deeper and something um, intrinsically uh, beautiful that you're going to find today as you as a child come to sit before Jesus and learn afresh of him. So after he's spoken, he's now lifted his thoughts to the Father in the vertical dimension. He comes back on the horizontal dimension, and he begins to say this, and this is right before the passage we're looking at. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father, and no one, no one knows the Father except the uh, Son, except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So what Jesus is saying here is he says, you can't know the Father unless you know me, the Son. And you cannot know me, the Son, until, as it then now says in verse 28, you come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see how he transforms and and changes that and just walks into uh, this idea that if you want to know the Father, then you've got to know the Son. Because only the Son really knows the Father. Scripture says no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. We would not have any real deep intrinsic ability to understand the full essence of God the Father unless We observed it and understood the Father through the Son's life. And so the Father sent the Son. And so we look at Jesus. We have the I spy Jesus moments. And we go, wow, not only is he alive, but look how he is alive. He is fully alive. And he's dialed into ultimate reality. He knows the equation of the universe. He knows what freedom really is. He knows what fulfillment really is. We look at Jesus and his life and we begin to understand the Father. And so Jesus is now exhorting them that they need to know him, to not ignore him, not turn from him, not be indifferent from him, not be uh, arrogant about their, their own life compared to him, but they need to intrinsically come to a place of saying, I want to know the Son, and the Son is going to enable me to know the Father. And the Father is going to be able to lead me and teach me and bring fulfillment. And I, with my child-like spirit, come in that type of simplicity to know him. And so that's where this begins. Jesus looks at him. He, Jesus looks at them, and he just simply says this. Come to me. Come to me. If anyone is in, Christ, is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's gone, the new come. There's no way to get a new life, a total new created kind of essence of your being unless you come to Jesus. Oh, you may put on the mascara. You may change some patterns, even some routines. You may buy new things, sort of alter. You could even alter your state of identity and name and that kind of thing, but you really can't become a new transformed creation, a new person 
unless you are in Christ. And so Jesus says, come to me. And who's he bidding to come to him? Those who are weary. King James says those who are weary and, and, and heavy laden. That's a pretty intense word. Are you heavy laden, just sort of bogged down, weighed down? And maybe it's nothing that's going on in life or even in this COVID-19 journey. It's just that there's internally some discouragement, some depression that's weighing heavy on you. I read this last week that the quarterback of uh, the University of Tennessee was in January on the brink of committing suicide and he, because of the depression, ongoing depression in his life. And uh, he, re- he called out and he says, if this is not your will, God, send me a sign. And, and shortly after that, a couple minutes after that, his mother called with a nephew and he realized through that phone call that he could not take his own life because of the damage it would do to other people and other things. And he began to seek fulfillment and find help for his mental state of condition. Uh, that's a pretty bold word of uh, uh, personal testimony about your life, that uh, somebody like that in a prominent position in a university in an athletic te- on an athletic team would say that. I don't know where you're at. This morning you may be in a place of discouragement, depression, even suicidal. But Jesus says to you, come to me. Come not to church. Come not to reading a, you know, a bunch of truth even out of Scripture. But he says, come to me. The very person and essence of God himself, Jesus Christ. And he's able to minister to you where you are at in the place that you are seated right now or lying down. Come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, it's interesting, this whole word rest. What does it really mean? Well, this is what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying that the rest he was talking about is the rest of the revelation of the Father. Come to me. And if you come to me, you're going to know my Father. And if you know my Father, then you're going to know truth and you're going to understand his ways. You're going to be drawn to him. The rest that Jesus is exhorting to his followers and those who were seekers who were outside of following him or not yet following him was that you need rest. And the rest is the revelation of the Father. So in essence, this is what Jesus was saying. All your restlessness is godlessness. Let me just let that sit there for a while. All your restlessness is godlessness. Is that true? Do you think that's true or not? That's why Jesus said, come to me. To know him and to find rest. You know, it's interesting. um, I was reminded this week, we uh, were supposed to have our district conference for the hundred and some churches um, in the Southern California, Arizona district of the Christian Missionary Alliance. We were supposed to have our district conference this week, which means that a bunch of pastors and ministry-minded people get together and, and we share and encourage one another. We hear from different people. We vote on a few things, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, we weren't able to have it this week. So in person. So we did it by 
um, a webinar and people interacting um, through that means online and uh, watched videos and did other things from our leaders. But it dawned on me and my wife reminded me that it was two years ago this very week that God spoke into my life, spoke into our life as a couple, in essence, and called us to lead the church in making a strategic big move. It was a physical move from a prior location to the current location that we're at that we hope to fill up here in the coming weeks again. But the calling of God was not an easy one when he said, lead forward in this manner. There was going to be some personal sacrifice. There was going to be some challenges that would probably come even financially for my family. And I remember talking and praying with my wife, and she says, Carrie, this is the right thing to do. Let's step into this. And it began the two-year journey, really, year-and-a-half journey, of us moving from a prior location to uh, our location here along the freeway and all the beauty that we have in being able to steward this facility and this location more than the facility, really, for ministry. But you need to know this. That journey was not easy for me. There were times in the coming months upon that decision that happened two years ago this week at District Conference. It was at a a communion service at the end of the conference when God said, step out, take this bold move. That I would uh, wake up in my bed in the middle of the night, consecutive nights, sometimes for days upon end. And I would be anxious. Were we going to be able to secure the facility that God put before us? Was the lease going to work? Were we going to be able to uh, raise the right kind of uh, resources to be able to take that step? And what if it starts to fall apart? What if we weren't able to, to make it? What if people didn't come with us from one place to the other? And what about my own personal life and how this was going to uh, play its way out? All kinds of stuff. You know, when you get in those places and it just sort of goes over and over and over again in your mind, it's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Where am I going to turn and maybe you've been up in the middle of the night restless where to turn what to do what stands before you decisions you need to make i want to challenge you today that the essence of jesus's words here really are true that all your restlessness is godlessness and what i would have to do in the midst of those those nights or those moments when I'd be walking around, working during the course of a, a day or week, getting the, the building done, other things. And then, of course, we wanted to be able to buy the facility ourselves and not just rent it because we knew that was the pathway. And could we really get the loan? And do we have enough resources challenging the people? People came together, which is still so grateful. Beautiful, beautiful journey because it happened. But in the middle of the journey, there was a lot of restlessness. And what I had to do was make sure I realized that God was in the middle of this. In fact, one of the hardest questions that was asked of me was by a key leader in the church. And he said to me, he says, I just need to know, Carrie, is there any carry in this? Well, that's a legitimate question. Because am I doing this transition, this growth initiative for us as a church for myself? Well, there's always impurities that I have to check and lay back before the Lord. But I can confidently say to that, no, God has led us to make this step to be able to rock the valley and transform our smaller church into a church that had a larger reach and dynamic to it. But that restlessness, I had to make sure that I stepped aside and I put God in the middle of it because it was 
God led? Could your restlessness be because God's not present in it? That you've not come to Jesus to know him, to find his rest. You know, I was trying to think of an analogy of this and how we so many times hit our problems and our struggles and our challenges in life, and we do not put God in them, but we try to solve them ourselves, especially us guys. We're always trying to figure it out. It's like, I got a plan for this. I don't need advice. I can figure this out. I'm, I'm moving forward. And so if the, the situation, and maybe it's a problem, maybe it's a big decision, a career decision, maybe it's a health-related matter. I don't know what you're going through. But is God in the middle of that? And could some of your restlessness be because you've not allowed him to have place there? So I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, if I was coaching a middle school basketball team, and we had this big game, maybe it was a tournament game, and I had the opposing coach and his players walk in and start to warm up, and all of a sudden it dawned on me that we are very inadequate compared to this other team that this team has tall kids from middle school. They got some athletes. They're shooting the lights out of the bucket as they're warming up. And my kids are like squirrels. They're running around. And I'm like, come on, guys, let's do some layups. We can get this done. And I'm going, this is going to be disastrous. We are going to get mopped up in this game. But then all of a sudden, rules change. I don't know how they change, but rules change. And we're able to add a player to our team. And I turn and I see walking through the door the goat. Do you know what the goat is? The goat is greatest of all time. And it's been on ESPN and some other stuff because they don't have anything to broadcast, so they're really just talking about old news, but it's sort of interesting news because I lived a part of these worlds. In walks Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan is suited up with number 23, and he's going to be playing on our team with our little middle school kids. Now, what happens to me as a coach in that moment? Ho <laughs> ho! This is now a different scenario. We got this. My middle schoolers with Michael Jordan, we are going to whomp that other team. There's nothing they can do. Well, I know that may seem like a strange little analogy, but that's where my mind goes sometimes. It, is it possible, Carrie, that some of your restlessness, you've not let the greatest of all time, the one who truly is all of time, has always been in time, who created time, who created everything, do you let that God of the universe, Yahweh, come and dwell in the midst of the problem and let his Shekinah glory fill up the place and his power operate? Or are you struggling along just trying to make it happen on your own? And Jesus says to them, You've rejected me. You've put me out in some other category. You've not allowed God to come in the midst of this. Lord, I thank you that you've revealed this to those who are childlike in heart. And then he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest because your restlessness is godlessness. God's not in the picture. You've booted him or you never invited him in. He's not going to impose his will. God's given us freedom of human choice. That's why he lets us live our lives and even destroy our lives sometimes. God wants to be in the picture. And God wants to be leading. And God wants to bring rest to those of us who are weary here today. I want us to do a comparison now. 
Okay, because there's um, three things we're going to look at here a little bit. One has to do with something that's true of all humanity. And then I want us to look at two different camps of humanity. And then I want us to look at how we move from sort of the false camp of humanity to the uh, positive or the true camp of humanity. But to look at this, I want us to do a comparison a little bit, a little bit of the two camps of people. We'll start there. It says this in Matthew 28, Come to me, all you who are weary. And then it references later, For my yoke is easy. There's a comparison. People who are weary and Jesus, who he says his yoke is easy. So it's comparing these two. Come to me, you who are weary, and then it says, burdened. But then later in the verse, in this passage, it says, my burden's light. So there's a comparison between two groups of humanity, two kinds of people. Those who are weary and burdened, and those who have an easy yoke, and their burden is light. Now, I want us to look at another passage where this word burden is used, and it's used in close proximity, and it's all, almost like you look at this and you go, well, the Bible's in error here. There's a contradiction, and it's found in the book of Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to just reference it out of the King James Version. Some of you may recall that from your past, but it highlights the word as the same. It says this in verse 2, that we are to bear ye one another's burdens. We're exhorted to do that. And then just a couple verses later, it's like, what's this? It says, for every man shall bear his own burden. Well, which is it? Scripture? Are we to bear one another's burdens or are we to bear our own burden? Well, here's what's underneath this. Though the word burden is appropriately used in both those sentences, they're actually a different Greek word that is behind it. The first is, and you can just listen to the sound of it, the Greek word is uh, beros, and the second is forchan. And the sound of those two words isn't the difference only. It's that these two words are referencing something that's different. So hang with me here. Don't get lost. This is critical. It's really key for understanding and unpacking the whole passage that we're looking at. If you compare these two, they're different. They're different. They're different in this way, that we are exhorted, just like back in uh, the NIV, I guess, says it this way, to carry each other's burdens, that's true the same, but the second one is for each one should carry their own load. What is the difference? Well, the difference is pretty straightforward. The first refers to burdens of sorrow, pain, difficulty, and trial. It's the reason we close Wednesday's Zoom uh, devos and prayer by saying, how's it going? Are there any prayer concerns that we can pray for? Maybe in your life group, as you've been on your Zoom meetings during this time, you're praying for one another, but you're sort of catching up with one another. Why is that? In part, so you can fulfill the scripture to carry each other's burdens. What are the burdens of pain, sorrow, difficulty, trial, or maybe words to celebrate, and we not just carry the burdens, but we also carry the celebration? We want to live and be a part of each other's life. Love one another. Scripture's adamant about that. And so Galatians is true. Carry each other's burdens. But then when later it says, 
Each one should carry their own burden. It's really saying each one should carry their own load. And the second part is that each one should carry their own burden of responsibility. My kids have responsibilities for their schoolwork right now. I can try to help them do a little bit of that, you know, uh, uh, parent teaching from home kind of thing that's crazy in conjunction with the, the teachers that are trying to do it by remote means. It's a challenge. But I cannot and should not be doing their homework. That's their burden of responsibility. So each one should carry their own load, their own burden of responsibility. It may be true of the workplace, but definitely it's true ultimately in life. You are to carry your own load, your own burden of responsibility. So what's being said here is there's two different kinds of burdens. And so when we go back to Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Heavy laden, it means those who are discouraged, those who are going through trials, those who are going through difficulty, the restlessness that's in our life right now. Where do I turn? Jesus says, come to me, you who are burdened. And then he flips and he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden, my burden is light. That second aspect of burden is referring to the burden of responsibility or what's sometimes referenced as the master passion of life. Now, I don't mean to get all psychological on you here, metaphysical or whatever, but I want to speak to you directly. Underneath all of our activity and everything that's going on in life, we are driven by a burden of responsibility. It's a passion in our life. It's something that uh, if uh, we were really to sit and contemplate, this, this is the driving force of my life. This is what goes on. And sometimes we'd have to get rid of a lot of clutter to get all the way down to it and say, what is the essence of the burden that I have? And every human being has this. Every human being. You have it. I have it. The friend sitting next beside you, the family member that's not in the room right now because they went to get something to eat, whatever it may be. See, I never know what's going on when you watch me. But Jesus is referencing this burden. I like how G. Campbell Morgan put it, and he's been very helpful in unpacking this whole passage for me personally. Um, He says this, back of your life, there is a reason, a motive, an aim, an impulse, a master passion. The conception of life that is mastering you and driving you, making you rise in the morning, toil through the day, rest at night, back of all the externalities is some dynamic, and this is so in every life. A master passion. Now, when you point this out, you may say, well, you know, I can see that. In some people's life, I can maybe see it in my own life. There's a drivenness, things I feel responsible. I'm carrying my own weight, my own burden. I'm going to make it happen. This is my driving force. But there are some human beings that don't. They, they really, they don't have an interest in doing anything. They sort of, you know, skirt responsibility and try to just, you know, have things easy street. Uh, I don't think this is true of all people. I don't think that all people have a master passion. Look at their laziness. Well, that kind of thinking actually proves this point. You see, that particular person, their master passion is just to be at ease and do nothing. 
And some people work really, really hard at doing nothing. Hopefully that's not happened to you during this uh, uh, stay-at-home order. But in the depth of what is being spoken of here, Jesus is not getting nice platitudes and nice sentiment. He just was very harsh and direct on with people that did not receive him. He prayed to the Father, speaking to him. He comes back and directs at them. I'm glad that this is being revealed to those who have childlike hearts. And here's the deal. Many of you are weary. You're burdened. You're consumed with all kinds of things. There's restlessness amongst the ranks. But I want you to know, if you come to me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what he's referring to is the master passion burden. So what is your master passion in life? If you got underneath it all, what's your burden of responsibility that you carry? Oh, I'm just trying to be faithful. I'm just trying to take care of things on the job front, take care of, make the wife happy and my husband happy. I just need to, you know, make sure the kids don't go away. Uh, uh, go away. You might wish they would right now. But, uh, you know, array, a, a, a like a wrong. What? What is your master passion, your burden that's below even all that? What is it that's below even all that? Jesus is saying this in this passage. If you will get the right master passion, you will have rest. You will have rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light foremostly what Jesus is saying here, and he's not talking about the burden and the yoke that he would place upon us as his followers to do his work. And by the way, if you're not familiar with the word yoke, uh, the yoke is a, um, a term that refers to a, basically a wooden, a, a wooden built harness that's put on the back of uh, oxen to be able to uh, be teamed together to move forward to pull a plow or a cart or some type of thing. So it was the horsepower, if you will. And so a yoke was made and built by carpenters at the time and placed on them to be able to team to move forward. In fact, it's interesting. Some people said this whole phrase, Jesus, when he says, my yoke is easy, might have come because, you know, up until the age of 30, he was a carpenter working with his earthly father. And he uh, was outside the carpenter shop and making things for different people. And some people thought that maybe they could have had a sign over their carpentry shop that just simply said, uh, our yokes fit well, because they would make yokes for oxen. And so when Jesus describes this, he's got an image of what it means to be teamed together and moving forward, but pulling a burden, a master load behind them. And Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy, it fits well, my burden is light. Now, if you look at the life of Jesus, he definitely did not have an easy life and having to uh, go up against the opposition he had, going, being obedient all the way to uh, the cross, uh, death, resurrection, all that kind of thing. It's like, whoa, step back, doesn't that sound easy to me? But what he's getting at is deep down inside of him, he carries this master burden, this master passion. What is it? What is it? Well, let's look at just a couple scriptures to describe it. It says this in Hebrews 10, 7. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. That is his master burden, to do the will of God. 
In fact, there's different references, even up to the point of the cross. Not my will, but your will be done. The first words of Jesus ever recorded as a little teenager, probably 13 years old, is when he went to the temple. And they lost him. Mom and dad lost him as they returned back to uh, their hometown. And so they went frantically searching for him. And in the, in the New King James Version it says this, And he said to them, when they finally showed up at the temple and found him, Jesus said to them, first words that would have ever been recorded by Jesus at that age, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? The word must is key. I must be about what? Building my own portfolio and my own company. No, my father's business, that's how it's translated in New King James, but in the uh, Passion Translation, it says this, Jesus said to them, why would you need to search for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary, my must, for me to be here in my father's house consumed with him? So Jesus, from a very young age all the way to the place of obedience on the cross, he was not doing his will or his personal side business. He was doing the will of the Father. And let me just tell you this point blank. Restlessness is going to come in life if you do not lean in to this master passion that Jesus himself had, which was to do the Father's will. The will of God is the master passion of Jesus Christ. That's what he's referencing in our passion today, in our passage today. Is that the burden that you're trying to carry? Or what kind of burden do you try to carry? What is your master passion? Well, if you look at humanity, there's all different kinds of them. We can't enumerate all of them, but let me just mention these four. How about money? Money and wealth. I just need to accumulate more, and there's nothing wrong with money. Scripture doesn't teach that money is evil. It says it's the root of all kinds of evil because it can lead you in some bad directions. That's why we tithe and give to the Lord. It just says, hey, once again, it's not my life, it's yours. And that whole journey my wife and I and many of you went on for us to get in this facility, you had to give up money and wealth, right? And God continues to call you that because it's sort of a monster. It's a, it's a tyrant, especially living in Western culture. The next best thing, let's grab it, the upgraded version, right? Money. That's what a lot of people pursue because they think they find security in that. For some, it's like money's not my passion in life, but fame is. And it's not like celebrity fame. You just want to be known in your company for your worth and your value. I want people to notice me. What about people that maybe say it's not money, it's not fame, but I just like to do nice things and, and be excited and experiment, uh, experience different kinds of, uh, you know, whether it's trips or lifestyles, whatever it may be. You just like pleasure. And then some, like I mentioned, they work really hard at doing nothing. Their master passion is ease and quietness. I just want it to be quiet. I have to be honest with you, sometimes that fourth one ends up becoming mine. I should give dad some space here, Right? All you who are weary and burdened, Jesus says, you're weary and burdened maybe about things that are not the right things. And he exhorts us. But really, there's just two camps of humanity. Because it's the camp 
that's passionate about doing the will of the Father. And all these, no matter how many angles you pursue, what's underneath these is one simple four-letter word, self. Now you say, that's pretty harsh. I'm not that bad. Friends, let's look at the restlessness you have in your life or the decisions that are before you. Are those decisions being made in light of what God's will is for your life or in light of what is more of a sustainable financial future, uh, one that brings accolades to you, ones that... uh, And no one can tell you what the motive is, what's underneath it all but you. But in the quietness of your room or in a walk, as you pray and seek God, ask Him to reveal to you as a child, what is it that's the driving force of my life? Is it your will, O God, or is it self? And those two different camps, Jesus is saying we need to move to the correct and the true camp. The correct and the true camp. The will of God or self? Which one's going to be chosen? Which one is going to be chosen is up to you. There's really only two burdens in life. There's thousands of yokes, but there's only two burdens. Two master burdens. And Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Team up with me. Watch me. Look at my life. Let me teach you through my Spirit's voice every day. Learn from me. And that's what they would do with oxen. They would take sort of the senior oxen that had been trained really well and the new trainee that had no idea how to pull alongside and they would put them both in the same yoke and they would team them together to, for the younger one to learn from uh, the seasoned one. And Jesus says, team up with me. Team up with me and let me show you how to live life. And you live life in accordance with the Father. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Which way are you teamed up? And could it be that some of our restlessness in the midst of this stay-at-home order and other things is because we're not at rest with ourselves, with our God? We want to make some things happen. Now, part of it's human nature. We need relationships. We want to hug people. We want to be there with people. We want to get at what God's called us to get at doing, being responsible, all those things I understand. But there sometimes is in the midst of our restlessness, a restlessness with ourselves because we are not right with God and we're not pulling the burden he's called us to pull. So I encourage you to find rest for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You're going with the grain, not across the grain, when you take on the master burden of pleasing God the Father who created you and loved you and is sustaining you in your life. All your restlessness is godlessness. Rest in Him. I want to close by sharing with you a story, a true story. I was in conversation uh, via email and then on the phone even yesterday with one of my prayer uh, partner support people. He lives on the East Coast. He's worked for the government before. And and we were talking about uh, things and he had sort of unpacked uh, in an email some of his introspection during this time. You know, he says, my mind goes to some of our ancestors and what they dealt with um, 
that's probably far worse than what we're dealing with in this time. You know, going back to even the Civil War, World War I, World War II, the pandemic of 1918, that pandemic killed over 675,000 Americans, and it was a much smaller population at that time. He says, my mind went to this and how people would have handled it. And, and then he says, my mind also went to Indonesia. He used to have a business uh, where he would travel to Southeast Asia and uh, would be interacting not only with the business issues of Southeast Asia, but also uh, the Alliance missionaries uh, that were a part of ministry in that area. And he says, my mind went to Indonesia, which, you know, is a nation of islands. And he says, I, I remember driving from uh, Jakarta out two miles to a little village with um, one of our missionaries, Judy Gaskin. And uh, we drove into this village, this small village. And in this village, I noticed that uh, there was one house that was two and a half, three stories tall. And it sort of towered over all the other single story flat roof houses. And he said, I looked at the missionary and I said, you know, what's up with that? Why, why is that sort of just sticking way out in there? And uh, she shared with him the story that she's also shared and written down elsewhere. And what it was, it had to do that Back during World War II, the uh, Japanese were taking over island after island and they were storming places and, and there was a lot of killing going on. And the people in the villages of Indonesia, they were scared and they were fearful. And there was a, a young family that was in this particular village, uh, Tajun was their names, and they had uh, ended up in the village. They were Chinese-Indonesian. Uh, because they uh, had studied at um, the Alliance Seminary uh, on one of the islands there by uh, Dr. Robert Jaffrey, who's like one of the heroes of uh, the Alliance as a missionary and all that he did in his early years. And so this was back during pre-World War II times. They were studying, and uh, Dr. Uh, Jaffrey, who had been a missionary in China, and was there uh, leading at the seminary, wanted to send uh, workers to Malaysia. And he knew Mandarin, so he was able to interact with them, and they prepared, and they went to Malaysia to be missionaries there. But shortly after they got there, World War II broke out, so they came back to this particular village, and they lived uh, in this house that was there. And what happened was the Japanese we're taking village by village, and you could see from the extra other villages on the smoke going up and the flames and, and the killings that were happening. And before they knew it, the Japanese were there at the uh, foot door of their village. And so they went into their house, they went to the highest floor, and they hid themselves. And, and the family was there, bunkered away, not knowing what was going to happen, expecting the worst that was coming. And they began to pray, and they began to intercede, and they began to ask God uh, to help them. And so there they were, back at this small village on this skirt of town, and my friend was there driving through with the missionary. And she says this, she records it this way. As the Japanese army was marching towards their village, burning houses and buildings all along the road, the Tanjun family could see the flames and smoke pouring up into the bright sky. As the army neared their village, the whole family gathered in the highest peak of their multi-story house. Now, there was no Indonesian army that was going to show up and fend them off. That just wasn't what was happening during that time. Their house was the tallest building in their village, so it really stood out. 
They huddled together and began to cry out to God, praying for hours. Suddenly the Japanese army was in their village and they could smell the smoke as house after house was destroyed and burned. They continued to pray, asking their God for a miracle. When would their house be attacked? Would they be burned alive or would the Chinese, Japanese enter their house and kill them with a sword? They continued to pray and waited for hours. What was happening? What was going on? Where were the soldiers? After spending the night secluded inside, they could see from the peak of their house that the Japanese soldiers had left their village. They were delighted and filled with thanksgiving to the Lord for protecting them. Why were they spared when all around them there was death? Then later they heard. They heard why their house was spared. One of the Japanese soldiers had said that when they entered the village, their goal was to destroy and burn the houses and kill as many Chinese Indonesians as possible. But when they approached the large house, they were frightened. It was surrounded by a ring of fire. The army dared not approach the house. Immediately, when the Tajun family heard the story, they knew what happened. The Lord had sent a host of angels to guard and protect them. What a testimony of power of prayer, more powerful than the Japanese army. Judy Gaskin, missionary for 46 years with the Christian Missionary Alliance, she actually had the opportunity later in life to sit down with the mother that was in that house that saw all this happen. She actually ended up buying some property from them uh, to start a Christian camp called Good News Camp. True story. Now, God does not always show up and say, but I tell you, what they did in the midst of their restlessness was they took God, they placed Him in the story, and believed Him that He could make things happen. Their restlessness was dissipated by God's presence and belief in God. You and I, we need to rest in Him. What are you anxious about today? What are you burdened about today? What fiery furnace are you in today? You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown in the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar, they believed that God would save them, and He did save them. It's a pre-incarnated uh, presence of Jesus, they said, because there were four people in the fiery furnace and not a hair on them was singed. But they had told Nebuchadnezzar and the other guards that even if he doesn't save us, we will glorify him. Sometimes God does not save us from the fiery furnaces of life. I understand that. You understand that. But my question is, is God in the middle of that? And are we seeking his will, not our will? God through Christ, saved the world. But Jesus, in the moment of His crucifixion, cried out, Father, Father, is there any other way? But He fulfilled the Father's will. I want you to have rest. I don't want us to be restless in this time. Sometimes I see all the anxiety and the fighting, and, and yeah, we are given a voice, and we can, we can make statements, and we can fight for things to be opened, and we want to get on with getting life. But I've sensed anxiety coming with different kinds of situations and conversations, even in my own life. I'm anxious. I want to get this over with. Let's get back to normal. But could it be that my restlessness is a result of godlessness and I'm just not trusting God? 
There is so much good that's happened for us as a church through this time that stories will be told when we're all back together. God is at work in people's lives, bringing Him glory through changed lives, new creations. And God is at work in our church for the future. I'm okay, because God is here. God's there in your living room. He's there with you in the presence of you watching on your phone. Let's turn our hearts to him and rest. Jesus was right. We need to come to him. All of us who are weary and burdened, and we will find rest. We need to learn of him, for he's gentle and humble in heart. His yoke is easy. His burden, his master passion is light. Go God's way and find fulfillment in him. If you have a prayer burden this morning, I just want to encourage you, or maybe a response to this message, that you take the opportunity and just send that prayer request in. Prayer at theawakening.church. And we want to pray for you. We want to minister to you. I'm more than glad to be able to give you a call even. Let us know what God's doing. Let us know how we can carry one another's burdens, but also how we can point you to the master burden that is easy and is light. Will you pray? Lord, across the rooms, for those who have hung on to walk deeply into this passage, I pray that you would help us move to the true camp, the true camp of pursuing your will and not ours. Lord, may we live for you and not live for self. May we find ourselves teamed up with you in this world, in this life, no matter what gifts and callings and careers, vocations, ministries you lead us to, some of them very challenging. May we ultimately rest in knowing you and knowing that in you and in your master passion, we will find ease and rest for our souls. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining this morning. We got something special next week for Mother's Day. We'll see you back here next Sunday at 10 a.m.